Amen. How many of you are glad to be saved this afternoon? How many of you are glad for them chicken and dumplings? Praise God. Any leftovers you can put in that little Honda Odyssey out there, and uh, it'll go to feed hungry children. Amen. <laughs> and their daddy. <laughs> I want to thank you, church. I really have enjoyed being here. I told my wife we were pulling up. And just the blessing that this church and your pastor and the members have been to me and my family and our church, the five years we've been at McNeil, and I want to thank you, just uh, just pulling up on the ground, just a sweet spirit and always a blessing to come to your meetings and to uh, times like this, uh, whether we preach or not, it's a blessing just to sit and get preached to, amen, and I thank God for you. Thank God for your pastor and his friendship and for his wife and all that they have done down through the years. We've been here to help us, amen, and be a friend to us. And uh, I don't have to tell anybody what I'm about to say. We're living in dark days, and there's a lot of apostasy. There's a lot of things changing very quickly. But I'm thankful for Brother Billy Ray Bond and his ministry as it continues to go straight in accordance with the Word of God that he can be a friend if you'll let him, amen. He's been a friend to me, and I thank God for your pastor and for this church, and I'm looking forward uh, to what God's going to do in the future and use you all here in your heart for missions, your heart for the old paths, and I'm a little bit nervous, so I'm trying to get some preliminaries out of the way, but I want to say thank you for the lunch and thank you, preacher, for the opportunity to stand. I don't take it lightly, and I'm humbled that you'd even call me and consider me. I'm preaching by faith this afternoon because when the call came, the text came, I began to search my heart and ask the Lord what he would have for this afternoon as you approach a season of revival meetings and revival effort. And my heart began to be stirred toward this passage. Years ago, God gave me a message from here and uh, I've only preached it one time. And if you preach the gospel, you know what this is like. Sometimes you'll you'll ask the Lord, well, Lord, are you sure? <laughs> you know, and he never makes any mistakes, by the way. He's sure, and he's always right. If there's any shortcoming, it's on a man's part, on my part. But he has constantly brought me back to this text. And it may not seem like a revival-type text, but I'm just going to preach by faith because he knows who's here, and he knows what you need. There's a lot of sheep in this room a lot of different needs and a lot of different capacities, a lot of different seasons walked through that back door just a moment ago. And all I am is a vessel. A vessel has no identity, just capacity. We ask the Lord, amen, to use us as a tool in his toolbox just to be a voice for the text, amen. Let me invite you to take your Bible and let's meet together in Ecclesiastes, the book of Ecclesiastes. I'll give you just a moment to get there and I'm going to encourage you to uh, fight the the Baptist blues. You say, what are the Baptist blues? The Baptist blues are after dinner on the grounds, we all kind of get heavy-eyed and we start doing the Baptist nod. <laughs> Amen. So I'm going to try to uh, preach as briefly as I can. If you'll stay with me, amen. I know that you're tired and you've been here all day. But there's something in the Word of God for us, and I believe it'll be a help to you. If uh, we'll let the Lord help us today. Let's stand together and stretch our legs one more time. And uh, I want to just read one verse of scripture in Ecclesiastes chapter number 3. 
and verse 1 and bring the burden of our soul this afternoon. The writer here of the book of Ecclesiastes, as you know, is Solomon. The word of God says this, To everything there is a season, and a time to every purpose under the heaven. I want you to pick out two words with me, season and purpose. I want to preach on this thought simply, understanding the purpose of your season. The Bible says there is a season. The Bible also says there is a purpose. Would you pray with me and for me this afternoon? Heavenly Father, I love you. I thank you once again publicly for the work of Calvary. And Lord, publicly for saving my soul. Thank you for the great love wherewith you have loved us. Thank you, Father, for the great spirit that's here, Lord, the liberty to worship, the liberty, Lord, to sing. Thank you for those who have given those uh, gifts, Lord, back to you in music and in instrument playing and in songs and in offering, Lord, in the meal we've had, the service, Lord, all that's been done, the giving of their talents back to God. And I pray now, Lord, that you'll get glory to yourself, God, that you'll feed your sheep, that you will help the ones today in a particular season of life to understand the purpose of their season and go on for the glory of God. Add your blessing to the reading, the preaching, the hearing, and the doing of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this afternoon, understanding the purpose of your season. Before us this afternoon is a very, very familiar passage of Scripture written by, of course, King Solomon, the son of King David. In the book of Proverbs, we understand him and know him to be the wise dispenser of knowledge and sundry uh, uh, sayings and multitudes of wisdom. And as the book covers a vast category of truth and circumstances and situation, the book of Proverbs stands in stark contrast to the second book that he would write, the book of Ecclesiastes. Here in Ecclesiastes, we see him older in life and what appears to be in a completely different season, a disquieted Christian living outside of the perfect will of God, consumed by a thousand promiscuous relationships and the gods of those individuals had taken the heart of Solomon very far from the God who had saved him and called him and had used him in the nation of Israel the heart far from God, and a book of what would be known much about vanity, yet it is still in the canon of Scripture. Yet it is still inspired, amen, in its authority. And it's a great volume of great interest to me, and inspired nonetheless. And in chapter number 3, we're given a brief overview of a rather capacious subject called life. Life is a very broad subject, and even in our assembly this afternoon, there are those that are babes in arms. There are those that are in their 20s and 30s, and I say respectfully, there are those with the hoary head that are in their 60s and 70s, and there's those that are in between. There's a lot of different uh, stages of life represented in this sanctuary today, and Solomon begins to set the stage in our text this afternoon with 14 contrasting statements that cover every span of life. Look with me in verse number 2. He says, a time to be born. 
there are some children here that are in arms, and we see our dear sister holding one, a new babe that they have just welcomed, and many across the room are very familiar with that. There is a time to be born. I see our brother in the back holding another little baby as well, and can I just go on record and say it's a blessing to see God, amen, giving new life in the church and raising up another generation to serve him in this part of Mississippi and be trained for the glory of God. And what a blessing that season of life is. He says there's a time to be born, but notice in verse 2, he says a time to die. Boy, that changes very quickly. And how many years are given? Is it 60, 70, or 80, or 90? Can I say we're not promised 60 or 70? It might be 16, 17, or like my brother who's laying beneath the sod, just his old tabernacle there in Bessemer, Alabama. He only got 19 years to live. We're not promised any length of time, and we see just in one verse of Scripture how it goes from birth to death. Look also, it says, a time to pluck up, and a time to pluck up that which is planted. So a vast array of different seasons just in one verse. Fourteen contrasting statements are given from verses 2 through verses 8. In verse 2, we see there's a time to be born and a time to die. And the next 13 contrasting statements cover everything that happens, Brother Joe, between the birth and the death. We go to the graveyard and, and we see on the headstone, we see a time of birth and a time of death. And then in the middle, there's a dash. Well, that dash is your life. That dash is the season of time where you prepare for eternity. And that season of time is covered here in the next several verses. But he says in verse number 2, very briefly, a time to be born and a time to die. We could summarize it this way. There are different seasons of life. And just as with nature and the God of nature, he has orchestrated different seasons in nature, and I believe he has orchestrated different seasons in our life. The book of Genesis, as you well know, is the book of beginnings. And if we were to go back and trace this doctrine of seasons and the law of first mention, we would go back to chapter number 8 in Genesis and go to verse 22. And this is what the Bible says. You may turn there or you may just listen. While the earth remaineth, here's a good verse for every tree hugger that thinks we're going to hinder what God started. Can I get an amen? It's going to stay here as long as God wants it to. Preacher, do you believe in global warming? Yes, when the elements melt with a fervent heat, amen? But until that time, mankind does not have the capacity to stop what God has already put in motion. Genesis 8:22. while the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, two different seasons, and cold and Mississippi heat, whoo, we're in it, and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. That's what God said in Genesis 8:22. Different seasons, different times of life, different times of planting and reaping, different times of having a baby welcome into the world and that long trip to the graveyard where we have to leave a piece of our heart, amen, in the sod of the earth and know, amen, that one day those that have been saved will see them again on the great getting up morning. Different seasons of life. Solomon says there's a time to plant. There's a time to be born. But there's a time for that 
to die and it's a time for it to be plucked up and a lot of analogies can be given just between verses 1 and 2 and all of the seasons of life as he is so well conveying. We see here that planting the crops is in late spring many times. The harvest of the crops is in summer. Two distinct seasons of nature and just as with nature I believe individuals, families, and even churches go through different seasons of life. I believe with all my heart this afternoon that there may be people in this congregation you're in the summertime of your life. I mean the cotton is high, the bass are biting, everything is going good, there's a little extra money in the bank, you might have two case knives in your pocket. I mean everything is going good. But you know what? There may be a brother or sister that walked in today in the deadness of winter. Saved, heaven bound, name in the Lamb's book of life, but they struggle just to make it to church today because they're in a hard spot in life. Did you know there may be somebody here in the springtime of their life? They may have just been recently born again. They may have just recently been wed as we think of a husband and wife. They may have just welcomed a baby into the house. They may be just absolutely bursting with joy and life. There may be somebody here in a fall time. Things have been good and things have been going well. And little do you and I know that tomorrow holds the entrance into a different season and a change of seasons. And you and I don't know that, but there's one that does. And can I say this? The best way to get acquainted with tomorrow is to get well acquainted with one who's already in tomorrow. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. And whatever season of life I'm in, whether the cotton's high and the bass are biting, or the sap's running in the trees and the leaves are falling, and I'm in the deadness of winter, I know that God is in control of that season of my life. And I believe God wants us to understand the purpose of that season. My friend, we don't have but so much time to live. God never did intend for a saved man or woman just to walk aimlessly through life and try to figure out what's going on. No, he gave us a Bible and he gave us the Holy Ghost and he gave us a pastor and he gave us the church and he gave us 66 counselors to help us understand what God is doing and where God is guiding and what God's cutting out and what God's adding back and why the tears, why the joy, what's going on. You can understand the purpose of your season. I believe God has ordained for every Christian, every church and every family, different seasons of life. And I am to be fully consecrated. You are to be fully consecrated. If we are to be effective through each season of life, I must understand God's purpose for me in that season. Where are you at this afternoon? Are you in a summer? Then you can be productive in the summertime. You're in the wintertime. You say, Brother Jordan, you don't bring crops in in the wintertime. You can still be productive for God in the wintertime. If God has allowed it, and he has, nothing comes past him, amen, that gets to you without his knowledge and his approval, just like we find in the book of Job. He allows it, amen. He is the one that is sovereign. He is in control, and the devil's on a chain, and he can only go so far, and you can be productive in the middle of a winter you understand the purpose of your season some seasons I understand are longer than other seasons 
You say, Brother Jordan, I've been in a winter time for some time. When will it be spring again? When will the trees burst out with new life? And when will the buds come on the lilies? And when will the things begin to have life again? Only God knows. He is the one that's in charge of those seasons. We're not to rush those seasons. We're not to get out of the will of God in those seasons. And only God and His sovereignty knows what exactly is meant for us to learn in that time. And He teaches us through the Word of God and through devotion. Seasons are longer than other seasons. Seasons have unique challenges. They're different than other seasons. And springtime, in contrast to winter, is completely different. And then within seasons, you may go through a drought. Drought will harden the ground. Drought will hurt the community. Drought will hurt the farmer. Droughts will hurt the food. Drought will hurt life. And within different seasons, you can have different elements of time and things God has allowed to come into your life. Understanding the purpose of your season. How am I supposed to understand what the Lord is doing in this season? In this seasonal change that I'm in, I, I realize, preacher, I sense I'm going from a, a fall and, and I see the darkness of winter coming in and the Lord has shown me some things and I believe a change is fixing to happen. God's given you a Bible and if you're saved, you're dwelt with the Holy Spirit, the author of this book, and he'll not leave his children in the dark. I'm not saying you'll understand it all. Much of the Christian life is a life of faith. We don't understand it all, amen, but we accept it to be God's will and we walk and live in accordance with the dictates of the Word of God and we know that He is too wise to make a mistake and He loves us too much to do us any harm. Number one, I want you to understand there's a lot of seasons. I, I went back and I didn't just warm this up. I've changed a lot of things and called a lot of things. This is what God put on my heart. Number one, there's the season of sowing. Look in verse number two, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. You're here this afternoon. You're interested in souls. You're interested in teaching classes. You're interested in sowing and you're interested in seeing men and women come to God and be discipled and be helped. I know that's the heart of your pastor. The walls are rife with your support for missions globally and getting in behind the Great Commission. It's evident that this church has a heart for sowing the gospel. And you sow and nothing happens. And preacher, you preach and it seems like nothing happens. Mom and dad, you instruct the children and it seems like they're just not getting it. You pray and nothing changes. You weep over that one that is lost and they haven't gotten saved. You water, you plant, you believe, you trust God and it seems like nothing's changing. You sow and you sow and you sow. You look back and it's been a year or two since you baptized anybody. It's been a year or two since new life spiritually has come into the church and the devil will jump up on your shoulder and begin to say, are you really making a difference? It's the season of sowing. The season of sowing is not the season of reaping. And the season of reaping cannot come unless there's been a season of sowing. Has God changed? Why, no. Brother Stephen, God never changes. Has the method changed? The Bible says that it pleased God 
through the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. I still believe God uses, amen, a leather-lunged preacher with a touch of God to take the Word of God and preach the Word of God as it is to men and women as they are. And the Spirit of God breaks their conscience, shows them their lost condition, and underneath that draw, they repent and believe God, and they get born again. Just because somebody isn't walking the aisle every Sunday doesn't mean I'm not in the will of God. Just because somebody doesn't walk the aisle, amen, every month doesn't mean that we have failed God. No, we just might be in a season of sowing. God hadn't changed. The method hadn't changed. We must understand that something uh, we often are uh, so apt to forget that sometimes we are going through a season of sowing. Sometimes God allows one man to struggle in a ministry of labor so that the next man can come and enjoy a ministry of reaping. But did you know that man that would enjoy the ministry of reaping could not enjoy a ministry of reaping without the man who labored before him in the ministry of sowing? You say, well, I want to be interested and involved in the one that's getting to see all the souls come to Christ. That's in God's doing, not ours. Sometimes God allows one man to struggle in a ministry to prepare it for the great harvest. Both are needed and both are part of life. Begin to do a lot of study and research on one individual brother, and I, I enjoy reading, and I thank the Lord for the men who've labored before us. I began to read and study this particular brother's life, and in the 1800s there was a young man. He mentally was a mammoth. Listen to this. He read at the age of three. He took navigation lessons at 10. He studied theology as a child. He entered Providence College at 17. Despite the fact he spent one year of his youth out of school for sickness, his teachers called him a venerable bookworm. He mastered the Burmese language. Many that deal with languages say one of the hardest languages to acquire. Writing and speaking it with familiarity of a native, with elegance and a cultured scholar. He also translated the Bible into Burmese. Spiritually, he was superlative. Converted at 20 with a heart for missions, this young man, along with his bride, would board a ship and head to India only to be denied entrance by the East India Company. He loses his support from his missions board because of his acceptance and practice of immersion by faith. He has to wait on the Baptist board to send him further aid and support and after many trying times, frustration, fears, and failures, they finally opened the door to Rangoon, Burma. There was not one Christian in the land, nowhere. Eight months from her infancy, they buried their only child under a mango tree. They're in the midst of a civil war. Cannons are firing. Cholera is rampant. People are dying. Six long soul crushing years of sowing there hadn't been one convert then on June 27th 1819 Adoniram Judson baptized his first Burmese believer Mang Now was the convert's name Judson jotted this in his journal and I quote oh may it prove to be the beginning of a series of baptisms in the Burman Empire which shall continue uninterrupted in its success to the end of the age, close quote. After 38 years in Burma, the loss of a daughter, 
the false imprisonment in a Burmese jail for 21 months, six years without a convert, only one return trip to America, finally on April 12, 1850, at the age of 62, Adam Niram Judson walked into the halls of glory. He made the crossing into the glory world. And it was said after his death, there was an estimated 210,000 Christian Burmese that were the result of the ministry of Adoniram Judson. Some boards began to do some work and some uh, putting together calculations of his emphasis and his work in Burma. And he said this, that one in 50 Burmese was won to the Lord by Adoniram Judson before he graduated to glory. Adoniram Judson could have quit in that second year. He could have said, what's the use in the third year? Surely four or five years he's discouraged. Buried a daughter under a mango tree. Six years with no soul saved for the glory of God. But Adoniram Judson didn't quit. Adoniram Judson kept going and going and going and preaching and praying and loving because he understood the purpose of his season. And God used that man to win that part of the world to God. Understanding the purpose of your season. You say, where's that in the Bible? It's in the book of Psalms 126, verse number 5. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again, bringing his sheaves with him. I'm telling you, my friend, if you're in the midst of a sowing season, you keep going for God, and you keep giving out the gospel, and you keep going to your prayer closet, and you keep going to the house of God, and you keep going to the mission field, and you keep giving, and you keep loving, and you keep trusting God. In the middle of that season, God will get the glory, and you'll be able to understand what God's doing in that season. Number two, not only the purpose of understanding the season of sowing, but the season of sons. Ephesians 6, 4, the Bible says, And ye, Father, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Mom and Dad, your hands are full, and so is your heart. But your bank account's empty. Can I get an amen right there? The road is long, and the tires are bald. The days are long, but the years are short. The season of child rearing, child training is the most important season that you'll ever live in. It's the greatest opportunity that you have to form a soul and make a child a boy and a girl for the glory of God. Enjoy it. Make the memories. Take the long walk. Take the long ride home. Invest in them. Take them to church. Pour over them. Pray over them. Discipline them. Love them. Correct them. Keep them underneath the preaching of the Word of God. The season of sons is one of the most rewarding seasons that man will ever know the season of sons. Miss Kristen and I began to get very interested in one another, and we both knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that we were God's design for each other, and we knew that beyond any question. And our pastor sat down with us, and he began to counsel us, and he said, you better find a spiritual purpose for your marriage or it will never last. 
He took us to Malachi 2.15 and I take the church there this evening. And did not he make one? Yet he had the residue of the Spirit and wherefore one that he might seek a godly seed. Have you ever thought about how amazing it is to be entrusted with the training of a soul that God's put in your hands? It's amazing to me that the book of Genesis again teaches us so much about the seasons. Man originally in the first season of life was made in the image and likeness of God. And as your parents, he entrusts you and I with the privilege and responsibility of handling an eternal soul and its shaping for the glory of God. That's pretty deep water. Made in the image and likeness of God as a triune being with a body and a soul and a spirit it's the highest calling on earth for a mom and dad. To have the soul of a child laid in your hands and placed in your home and living in your heart to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. What a great blessing it is to have that. You say, well, Brother Jordan, we're in a difficult season. We're struggling financially and things are tied and things are broken and, and we don't understand what all God's doing. My friend, it rains on the just and the unjust. And we were never promised a bed of roses, but we have been promised. If we'll do things God's way, we'll get God results. And if we'll keep them underneath the things of God, we'll give them every opportunity to be born again. I believe God will look on that union and wants to raise a godly seed. And he'll do all that he can to make sure that family's saved by the glory of God. He takes a peculiar interest in that godly seed. Doesn't mean they'll all be saved. Doesn't mean they'll all get right with God. They have a free will. But if my children are going to go to the world, I want to give them every opportunity to come to Christ before they ever go to the world. Enjoy it. Pray over them. Correct them. Love them. Forgive them. Make memories. Spend time. Most of all, love them. Invest them. When patience is thin, reach for long-suffering. Continue to invest in them. Continue to nurture them because you're not going to be very long down the road. And I'm right there in the middle of it with you. We're going to turn around, as my dad tells me all the time, and we're going to look back, and they're all going to be grown, and they're all going to be gone, and that season of life will never come again. Number three, this evening, and I'm finished, the season of suffering. The season of sowing the season of sons, and the season of suffering. Job 14, 1, the Bible says, Man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Psalm 119, verse number 75, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right, and thou in faithfulness hast afflicted me. You say, Brother Jordan, I've entered into a season of suffering. I have entered into a place that I did not see coming up on the radar. It come out of nowhere. My life has changed. My mentality has changed. It seems that I take a step forward and I take two or three steps backwards. I am in a season of suffering. There's people like that in this church tonight. There's people like that in my home church in Alabama. 
There's people like that all over every church dotted across America's landscape. You know why? Because God allows seasons of suffering to come in our life. This season is one we don't like to talk about. We don't enjoy it. We don't enjoy walking through it and living in it. And there are times when suffering comes. There's physical suffering. A season when our body is in pain. There's mental suffering. A season when our mind can be in pain. There's spiritual suffering. A season when our soul can be in pain. I'm going to tell you what. There's a whole different level of suffering and hurt when those who love much and minister and give and pour and invest only to have their soul torn apart because of the waywardness of someone they've invested in. I'm not trying to make any big eyes or little U's, but I'm going to tell you what, my friend, you mamas know that when a child walks away from their rearing, when a pastor sees a, a sheep go astray, when a loved one sees a loved one go down the wrong path, when a mate sees another mate go the wrong direction, it's past physical, it's past mental, it's past spiritual. It touches your very soul. And you wonder, God, what is happening in this season? Can I say this tonight? He's still the same God that he was when you were reaping. He's still the same God he was, amen, when everything was good in the summertime and you're in the midst of a wintertime. He's still the same God. God hadn't changed, but the circumstances have. He's still worthy to be praised in the midst of suffering, in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of winter, just as well as he is worthy to be praised in the midst of a summertime when everything is going well. Mental suffering, physical suffering, financial suffering, a season when our wallet is in pain. Those times come. Sometimes it seems like we experience all four seasons at once. You ever been there? We have that in Mississippi. I mean, we can have snow in Christmas time and a tornado the next day. I mean, it's like, if you don't like the weather in South Mississippi, stick around. It'll change in about five minutes. What is the purpose of those, preacher? I don't have the answer for every situation. Every individual that's represented in this room, I don't know that all that is happening in every life is represented in my church, much less this one. But I know this. The same God that orchestrated the very beginning of this thing called the earth and the first creation of mankind in Adam and Eve is the same God that's still on the throne today orchestrating all things after the counsel of his own will, and he has ordained that everything that comes into my life will work out for my good if my love and my affection toward him and my calling to him is where it should be. And we seldom quote verse number 29 that we should be what? We are, he's predestined us to be conformed to the image of his dear son. You shouldn't quote 28 without looking at 29. 28's a shouting verse. But sometimes 29 is where he begins to cut things off that don't look like Jesus. He'll bring things into our life that removes things that do not bring him honor and do not bring him glory. And in those seasons, many times, that's what he's doing. I know that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has conquered sin. He's conquered death, hell, and the grave. And you must remember this, friend, as I get ready to try and close this evening. Every sickness, 
every, every disease, every graveyard, every broken home, every broken heart is a result of sin. When man and woman disobeyed God and they fell into sin and that curse came upon this earth, it is still reeking and railing tonight, groaning in the destruction of sin. And I am telling you, I thank God that the Lamb of God has got victory over death, over hell, and over the grave. Although the world is still reeling, we have a hope in our soul. We have a calling and election that is sure. And we know that if we've been saved, it's all going to work out for the glory of God. Praise God for that. It rains on the just and the unjust. Why am I in this? What is this happening? Is it a result of my sin? Is it a result of a choice I made? Sometimes it can be the chastening of God. Sometimes it can just be what God has allowed to happen. Take your Bible and go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. There's a promise in this text that's a help to every Christian. Paul's thorn in the flesh. You say, preacher, what kind of promise is in this? This is a season of life that Paul, I'm sure, didn't enjoy living in. Can I say this this evening? If Paul hadn't suffered, we wouldn't have this promise. If Paul hadn't walked through that dark valley, we wouldn't have the light of this scripture. Look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Paul said, And lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. Notice what the Bible says. And he said, verse 8, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that, the, that it might depart from me. This was the answer from God. He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. If Paul had not a suffered, we would not have that promise. God, take it away. God, help it to end. Could you imagine when he gets up to preach in the synagogue and the devil jumps on his shoulder, Brother Bond, and he begins to rail on him. What about that man you just murdered named Stephen? What about that young girl that you made an orphan? What about that woman that you made, amen, a widow? And all those things that would buffet the mind of the man of God. The Lord never took it away from him. But instead of taking it away from him in that season of mental suffering, he did give him this promise. He said, my grace is sufficient for thee. And he brings the strength of God into the grace of God. Look at this qualification. For my strength. How strong is God? God is strong enough to give you the amount of grace you need to help you go through the darkest midnight. He renames his grace his strength. Anytime you see the right hand of the throne of God, it is a reference to honor, to power, and to the Son of God. 
And I'm going to say this, my friend, everything that we need is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. He suffered like no man ever suffered. He was betrayed like no man was ever betrayed. He was wounded like no man was ever wounded. He let his blood out, amen, as an offering for our sin. His soul was poured out. His heart was broken. His uh, friends walked away. Every emotion, everything that he could suffer in the capacity of man, he suffered to leave us an example that his grace is sufficient for you and I. Corey Ten Boone said this. She said, I've been to the darkest hell that man can create. You know the story of Corey Ten Boone in helping save the Jews from the murderous ravages of the Nazis. She said, I've been to the darkest hells that man can create, and God's grace is sufficient still. He renames his grace his strength. How, how strong is God? God has all strength, friend. And when you look in the mirror and you look at that situation and you say, I can't go another day and I can't go another service and I can't go another graveyard. I can't go another heartache. I can't go another day. I can't go. You keep going for the glory of God and you trust God and you look to God and go to the scriptures and go to the prayer closet and keep trusting God in the season of suffering. Go with me to Titus chapter number 3 and I'm done. Titus chapter number 3. My grace is sufficient for thee. There's a lot more in that verse but I need to hurry on. Titus chapter number 3. This is toward the end of the man of God's life. Second Timothy would be his last letter. Titus was right there alongside. He's getting ready to Go to the glory world. He would be lifted up from Mamertine prison for the last time. He would fall to Nero's chopping block. The man of God is seasoned. He's aged. Saved roughly maybe 33, 34 A.D. on the road to Damascus. We're now in 60, 65, 66 A.D. He's a seasoned man of God. Been saved for 30 years. Walking with God. Wrote over half of your New Testament. I want to try to help somebody today. Paul's in a peculiar season in his life. He says in verse number 12, When I shall send Artemis unto thee, or Tychicus, be diligent to come unto me to Nicopolis, for I have determined there to winter. Sometimes when a season of winter is in your life, you're going to need some help getting through it. Look with me in verse 13. He said, bring Zenus the lawyer. You can get in a situation in your life where you need, you need somebody that knows more than you know. Member of, the, member of the council, friend, he was a knowledgeable man. Wrote over half your New Testament. He got in the wintertime in his life. He said, you bring Zenus the lawyer with you. We can get in positions in our life where the devil's beating our brains out and he's got us up against the ropes. And I thank God in those times we have the Holy Scriptures we have the Holy Spirit. We have a pastor. We have a local church. We have the prayers of the saints. And we can get individuals, amen, and counsel with folks that many times have been where we've been and can see further down the road. And it's nothing to be ashamed of to go to your pastor, his wife, and say, I need some help. I need you to pray with me. I've got a burden. I've got a winter time. And I need some help understanding what God's trying to do. Also, Paul said, you bring Zenith the lawyer with you. 
Notice what else he says in Apollos on their journey. Apollos, you know, was a convert under the ministry of the apostles, an eloquent man, Priscilla and Aprilla, the husband and wife, dynamic duo under the ministry of Paul, showed them the, uh, the way of God more fully. He come into salvation. He got in the age of grace. He was saved. He was used of God mightily. Paul said, I need to speak with him. I need a man that is eloquent, a man mighty in scriptures is what the book of Acts says. There's people God will put in your life that are mighty in scriptures. There's people God will put in your life that know the law, that know how to help, that know how to direct, and they have a touch of God on their life. Don't take them for light. Don't take them for granted. Notice with me in verse number 14. What else do I need to do in the seasons of winter and the changes of life? Verse 14, and let us, Paul includes himself, or excuse me, and let ours also learn to maintain good works. You know, the one of the easiest things to do in a winter time is to quit. What's the use? Nobody's growing. Nobody's getting saved. The devil's beating my brains out. I'm never going to see the expectation of the desire that God's put in my heart. What's the use in going on? If you'll get with God and you'll get in your secret place and you'll ask him to show you what he's trying to do, he'll give you some help understanding the purpose of your season. For you and I today, we have pastors, we have counselors, we have 66 counselors in the word of God. Verse 14, we're reminded in winter times in our life to maintain good work. And keep doing the revealed will of God in what we know is right, Brother Joe, for the glory of God. Whether summer, winter, fall, or spring, whether we're up or whether we're down, whether we're having a difficulty or whether we're elated and everything seems to be fine, we need to bring forth good works for the glory of God. Not as a process to be saved, no, no, but a result of being saved and to bring glory to our Father. I'm, I'm done this evening if the pianist wants to come and get ready. If you've been paying attention, you probably noticed this. I haven't told you all of the purposes of your seasons, have I? I mentioned different seasons. And here's the reason why. There are so many different seasons and things happening in local churches that only God and the pastor know many times. But there is one in heaven who knows exactly what he's doing in your life right now. And when we will go to the Holy Scriptures and we engage the Holy Spirit to discern this and lay it all out before Him and say, God, I am having a hard time right here. Lord, I don't understand. Lord, I've got a wayward child. Lord, I've got a wayward husband. Lord, I had to go to the graveyard yesterday. Lord, I've been having this desire to do this for God and it hadn't come through. And God, I want to see the church excel and the church is going backwards. And God, I don't understand what you're doing in this season. It's not up to me to tell you what he's got the purpose for in that season. But if you'll get serious with God and you'll ask him, I believe he'll give you the grace to go through any season. and He'll show you exactly what he's doing in your life. And it may not be 1, 2, 3 ABC, but it may be something like this. Brother Joe, just trust me, son. I know exactly what I'm doing. Let patience have her perfect work. You're ready to go. You're chomping at the bit. You're pulling on the chase train. You're ready to go. God says let patience have her perfect work. I don't know everything that's going to happen tomorrow, but God is already in tomorrow's tomorrow. If we get acquainted with him, he'll help us understand 
the purpose of our season. Let's stand together this evening. Every head bowed.